COVID-19 wave is still rising here in the United States, and it's expected to crest in New York around the middle of April, then here in Chicago a week or so after that, before rippling out across the country. I'm sure you know this by now, and I'm sure you also know that this is all happening two years after U.S. President Donald Trump disbanded the pandemic response team that his predecessor, Barack Obama, had created in the wake of the Ebola, SARS, and swine flu disasters. Here's some audio related to that that you may not have heard before. It's from a press briefing when a reporter asked President Trump why he disbanded the response team and why he cut funding for the Centers for Disease Control, or CDC, and the National Institutes of Health, or NIH. This was the president's response. We can get money and we can increase staff. We know all the people. We know all the good people. It was a question I asked the doctors before. Uh, some of the people we cut, they haven't been used for many, many years. And if we, they, if we have a need, we can get them very quickly. And rather than spending the money, and I'm a business person, I don't like having thousands of people around when you don't need them. When we need them, we can get them back very quickly. For instance, we're bringing some people in tomorrow that are already in this you know, great government that we have and very specifically for this. I don't like having thousands of people around when we don't need them. So who are some of these people we didn't need? 37 of them ran the CDC outposts embedded in other governments, including China's, but we didn't need them. They were let go in July of 2019. Something else we didn't need was the Obama administration's pandemic playbook, which was created in 2016 with help from health experts from other countries, including South Korea and Liberia. Politico published a copy online, and it shows a detailed step-by-step response to a global pandemic that begins just like COVID-19 did in China, and how the White House should respond. I won't go into all the detail here because it's been pretty widely reported elsewhere, and you can find the full text on Politico. Today's show is not directly about COVID-19, but about what allowed it to spread so quickly. Namely, an overemphasis on efficiency at the expense of resilience. This is, I think, the core problem of our modern economy and our modern system of agriculture. What is efficiency? It's generally when you can get the most throughput in a system with the least amount of waste. What is resilience? It's generally when you have a system that can withstand a shock, but that might not generate as much output in the short term. A modern mega farm is very efficient in terms of food production, while the agroforestry programs that I have covered in this show in the past are not, at least not when you factor in labor. Agroforestry systems are, however, very resilient because they're so diverse. For example, A bug that hits them probably won't wipe out every crop on the field. And neither will a torrential storm. A new paper out this month in the journal Nature called Intensive Farming Drives Long-Term Shifts in Avian Community Composition found that intensive and, you could say, efficient agriculture drives away birds, while agroforestry brings them back. You may remember Prisca Mianda's farm, which we visited way back in Episode 7, in Bungoma, Kenya. She shifted from farming only sugar to farming a diverse range of crops and trees. And there were so many birds on her farm that we could barely hear her. But a few farms over, it was nothing. 
efficient farms are often the most disease-prone and the most susceptible to droughts and other natural disasters. And they deplete the soil, too. But in good years, when everything goes right, they produce more corn and wheat and soybeans than any mixed agroforestry program can deliver. This doesn't mean that efficiency and resiliency are always mutually exclusive, just that an overemphasis on one can often undermine the other. Just in time, supply chains are very efficient, but they often lack resilience, which can cost us dearly in times of crisis like the one we're in now, when hospitals across the United States are struggling to find surgical masks. The quest for efficiency is also what caused the United States to lose about a third of its hospital beds over the past 30 years. Those same just-in-time supply chains can help eliminate food waste, which is critical if we're to meet the climate challenge. When it comes to finding the best way to balance efficiency and resilience, it's often about identifying the cost of failure. When airplanes fail, the cost is tremendous. So we layer in all kinds of backups and redundancies that only a member of the notorious Koch family of Wichita, Kansas, or maybe an ExxonMobil executive would find wasteful. The same should also be true with environmental protection, and especially with climate change. All the efficiencies in the world won't mean a thing if we lose the living ecosystems on which we depend. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth. We broke it. We own it. And nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields. And not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet? Or is nature herself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today we examine that impact by taking a look at the difference between efficiency and resilience. If you're a patron of the show, if you support me through patreon.com or through my legacy system, you won't be charged for this episode. It's a freebie. But if you're not a patron, I hope you'll become one because I've got a million original shows itching to get out of me. It's been an insane month for a lot of us, myself included, and I have been struggling to put the show together for weeks. In the end, I've kind of punted because I found an article written by Paul Neuvenhaus. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I speak German, but not Dutch even though my wife teaches in the Netherlands. Neuvenhaus is a senior lecturer and co-director of the Electric Vehicle Center of Excellence at Cardiff University. And he wrote today's show back in December of 2016. Uh, Technically, what he wrote was an article for the conversation called Humans Strive for Efficiency But Could Learn So Much from Nature's Resilience. Again, he wrote it as an article, but he did so under Creative Commons, 
which is how we publish a lot of our ecosystem marketplace articles. That means that I can republish it as long as I make sure readers know where it came from. So I'll mention it again. It's from an article in The Conversation called Humans Strive for Efficiency but Could Learn So Much from Nature's Resilience. I'm not charging for it because uh, it would be kind of sleazy. Writing this stuff is the hard part, and he's done the hard part. I mean, any idiot can read it, and most idiots can do a better job of reading it than I can. Uh, it's the la- But here's the thing. It's the last day of the month. I've been too busy to put together a full episode. I'm recording this at my mom's house, so it's kind of echoey and boomy up here. Sorry about the sound. At the same time, I have to use the bandwidth that I paid for or I lose it. So I might as well use it to give this excellent article some ears to go along with the eyes that it's already earned. And if you want to run your eyes over it, the title again is Humans Strive for Efficiency but Could Learn So Much from Nature's Resilience. Since the Industrial Revolution, humans have been driving towards ever greater efficiency. In fact, efficiency, making the best possible use of the resources at hand, has become the core concept of how we run the world. On the face of it, being efficient makes us more in tune with our environment by not being unnecessarily wasteful. However, it has in many cases led to a reduction in resilience which is the ability to deal with change and crisis. Unlike humans, nature is more resilient, but far less efficient. Numerous plant seeds are dispersed just to allow some to germinate, and many animals have extremely short lifespans. Both suggest a wasteful use of resources. The human way can bring insight and foresight to decision-making, and we can be proactive. Nature is essentially reactive, but does adapt to changing environments. So how do natural systems build resilience, and how can humans harness it too? One key element seems to be the natural tendency towards increasing diversity. But from a human perspective, diversity can add complexity and a degree of redundancy. But diversity is not a bad thing for business. Vehicle manufacturer Peugeot was founded over 200 years ago when there were no cars, Its expertise was in making and processing thin steel, which then took it from producing products such as hand tools and watch springs to bicycles and cars. At each stage, the firm had a range of core products and added more marginal activities, often in response to changes in taste and fashion. This broad portfolio gave Peugeot the flexibility to shift focus and downgrade core activities to a more marginal role and vice versa. It has survived by identifying new opportunities in areas related to what it is already doing, often reducing risk by forming new companies or divisions to accommodate such ventures. Peugeot's strategy is very similar to nature's resilience. When the environment inevitably changes, the resulting shifts in conditions, temperature or the availability of food, for example, could mean that previously marginal species suddenly find themselves in the perfect situation. They can then become core species in the new system, while previously dominant species may come to play a more marginal role as conditions are now less favorable for them. As a result, the whole system can survive, albeit in a somewhat different configuration. 
If those species that are marginal at first had not been there to take on the key roles, the system would have collapsed. Again, thinking of the automotive sector, those manufacturers who are heavily reliant on diesel will find themselves in an increasingly vulnerable position in coming years as fuel supplies get low and new legislation is enforced. Those who have experimented with EVs, meanwhile, will be better placed despite the fact that in the past, such activities may have been seen as inefficient and difficult to justify. General Motors' experiments with the EV1 in the 1990s, for example, garnered negative attention, but the work put it in good stead to later develop its Volstan Bolt electric vehicles. This type of resilience thinking has become particularly important in recent years, when natural disasters have disrupted human processes. Toyota, often presented as an example of efficiency due to its lean production system, was badly affected by the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami in 2011. In the aftermath, a supply chain audit found that Toyota's supply chain actually had several potential vulnerabilities due to its efficient thinking. For example, many single suppliers of key components were located in high-risk earthquake zones. In order to add resilience, Toyota encouraged these suppliers to produce components in multiple locations or store stock away from production sites. The carmaker itself is now moving towards greater commonality of components across models, using parts that can be switched between models while increasing volumes per component, which also makes it easier for suppliers to justify new multiple production sites. While we can ignore these stories, and this is indeed what we have mostly been doing in our drive for efficiency, particularly at times of change, it may be wise to take a closer look at the resilient way of operating. Some of our systems are, by their nature, better suited to resilience than efficiency. Healthcare systems spring to mind, or any other system where a rapid response to an unexpected extreme event can be, well, expected. We are entering a time when our existing systems appear to be reaching their limits in many respects. Our over-reliance on fossil fuels or economic growth, for example, are likely to hit natural limits. And if we are not proactive, we may well be forced to rapidly adapt to a series of human-induced environmental crises. Learning to speak the language of resilience by managing our systems more as if they are natural systems is the best way of preparing for this. Wise words from Paul Neuvenhaus's excellent 2016 article, Humans Strive for Efficiency, but could learn so much from nature's resilience in the conversation. Again, I won't be charging for this, but I'm still paying for bandwidth and web hosting, and I would like to produce more content that I feel right charging for. If you like Bionic Planet and you want more and better episodes, then you can help me generate them by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash bionic planet that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash bionic planet bionic planet no dots or dashes there you can support me for as little as one dollar per episode and with a monthly cap the address again is patreon.com forward slash bionic planet of course you can also help just by accessing me through the right podcatcher namely access me through the radio public app 
That's Radio Public, like public radio but backwards. They automatically pay me a few cents for every listener who hears the show to the end, and that adds up. Finally, you can help just by giving me a five-star review on whichever podcatcher you hear me through. That helps, because the more stars I get, the more ears I get. And the more ears I get, the more minds I can reach. And we must reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet this challenge. We can do it if we all work together. And that wraps up today's show. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Chicago. Thanks for listening, and stay healthy. Oh,